0: Amen. Maybe seated church. Man, man, that was fire. Amen. 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 Come on. I am stoked to be up here with you guys today. I got to, uh, I got to go spend a little bit of time on retreat this week with some pastor friends of mine away and for a few days, and we got back uh, late Friday and just kind of get back in the swing of things and. And I'll tell you guys, I know this sounds cheesy, and so you can roll your eyes, but I I just, I mean it, so it's, you gotta deal with it. Being away from you guys, even for a couple days, it just, it just, like, brings joy to my heart to be together with my family. I love you guys. I love being together. It is a joy to worship together today. And I'll tell you guys, I feel, I stand more on that today, on a weird Sunday, right, where, like, There's a COVID surge going on and and, and time is wild. And there's probably more of us at home right now than there are like in the room, like either watching this online right now or watching it later. Uh, And and I still just go, man, to me, that makes me that much more appreciative of the privilege it is to be together and, and to worship our Lord. So thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be continuing our series in Acts. If you guys want to turn over to Acts 20. Uh, while you're turning there, I am supposed to really quick r- remind you guys again about the core team class. I'm going to be leading us through that starting the first Sunday in February. They'll be in this room at 4 p.m. Don't worry, we will take off the week of the Super Bowl because we take idolatry seriously, but we're not, like, crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, we make some allowance. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But <laughs> we, will, we will take that Sunday of the Super Bowl off. But Sundays at 4 p.m., six weeks in this space. I'm going to be walking us through just... Just honestly, guys, some of my and the elders, some of our hearts for what it looks like to be a church. What is it that we're hoping and praying and desiring would, what fruit would be born in the life of each person who plugs themselves into the life of a manual church? And so it'll be a really refreshing time in this space, 4 p.m. on Sundays. Please sign up for that, even if you haven't yet decided to commit to the core team. And it would just be a great way to get to know your pastors a little better, to get to know a little bit of the vision and thought behind this church a little bit. We would love to have you guys. So this space, 4 p.m.'s, 4 p.m.s, 4 p.m. on Sundays, starting the first week in February. Um, okay, so Acts chapter 20, we're continuing our series. If you uh, haven't been with us, if it's your first time visiting, hey, we're glad you're here. Don't worry. Uh, we are jumping into the middle of something, but it, you'll be able to catch up really quick. So... In this point in Acts, we are in what's called the third missionary journey. So the second half of Acts highlights these three missionary journeys Paul goes on, uh, the Apostle Paul leaving out of his home base in the church at Antioch and planting churches all over the Roman Empire. Last week, we finished out what scholars call the Ephesian scene. So next time you want to sound like just really theological, when someone says, what are you talking about church? Well, you know... (laughs) We finished out Paul's treatise, the Ephesians scene, and they'll be like, dang, okay. Uh, But anyway, we, we finished out that part. Paul spent almost three years of his third missionary journey hanging out in the city of Ephesus. So I have a map here that shows the route of the third missionary journey. There it is. Uh, And I know from where you guys are sitting, especially if you're online, you probably can't read that right. But on the far right there, kind of the top, that's where Antioch is. That's where Paul sets out for all of his missionary journeys. And then can you click on the one that circles Ephesus for us? That's where Ephesus is. So Paul spends a good two and a half years... In this particular place, this is on the tip of modern day, what we call Turkey, right? What they called Asia Minor in the days of the Roman Empire. And in the time Paul spends here, his ministry becomes so influential and there's so much traffic coming in and out of Ephesus that the text tells us that all of Asia, all of that region that we call Turkey, ends up getting access to the gospel just through people coming in and out of the Ephesian church, which is wild. While Paul is there, the Spirit finally gives him some clarity on how he's going to finish out this journey. Paul, or God kind of gives Paul some clarity on what kind of the next steps for his life are. And what he outlines is he's going to cross over the Aegean Sea here and head into what we call Greece, what they called Macedonia, and he's going to visit afresh all these churches that he planted in the second Journey and then make his way back to Jerusalem before setting out on the the, the most the largest missionary journey he's ever planned. He wants to hit the next frontier and cross over to Italy and visit Rome. Those are the kind of the plans he has in place heading into Acts chapter 20. Well, these kind of blow up when there's a riot in Ephesus uh, that ends up almost getting some Christians killed. It's pretty intense, right? And and in, in the course of this, Paul has to leave Ephesus kind of in a hurry, and this is where our text picks up. So Acts chapter 20, starting in the second verse, we read this. When he had gone through those regions, these are the regions he planned to see all through Macedonia or Greece, and had given them much encouragement, he came finally to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Phyrus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Articisterus and Secondus, Secondus instead of Firstus or Thirdus, uh, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophmius, and these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now, I'm going to keep going. There's an actual narrative we're going to grab here, but I wanted to grab that chunk because I feel like that kind of helps us set the space for this narrative. We're in, in what is essentially a... Tra- like This is like Paul's version of his travel vlog. Like This is the travel narrative of him finishing out this third journey. And so what we just read is that whole chunk over there in the middle of the map, of him visiting all these places and making his plans to head back to Jerusalem. But instead, because of plots against him, he makes his way back the way he came and they end up in Troas. Can you, can you throw me the map where we circle Troas? The third one? Boom. This is where our narr- our, the main chunk of our narrative today is going to take place. Paul has essentially, at this point, completed his third missionary journey. He's now on his way home with a whole bunch of friends trying to make his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast days and then set out on what he's planning as his fourth major missionary endeavor to head to Italy and bring the gospel to Rome. Our narrative is going it, to take place in Troas, but, but it's important for us to know this piece today before, before we pray and get into it. There's going to be a pretty wild miracle in this text, but the thing we're actually going to talk about I think is that this text is pretty just indicative of how the community of the early church operated, which really is what we're going to get into today. We're going to take a few minutes to talk about how the Bible describes community, the family of the church, the community of Christ, the gathering of believers. You know, whatever phrase you want to put around it, what we're going to see today is a really cool window, really cool picture into how the early church related to one another, what their friendship, their brotherhood, their sisterhood looked like. And I think we're going to see a couple key points in this. We're going to see that the, the, the community of Christ in, in the Bible is incredibly diverse. We're going to see that the community of Christ spends sacrificial amounts of time with each other. And we're going to see that the community of Christ gathers around the gospel of Christ and the spirit of Christ. And all of that, I think, is going to bring us to a place today that just What I think is a simple truth, which is simply just this, the community of Christ is worth your time and your effort because the mission of Christ is worth your time and your effort. If you're a note-taking type person, I just gave you the outline. Uh, (laughs) You're like, why didn't you put it on the screen? I would have written it down. (laughs) Um, We're going to read the rest of this narrative, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump into it. So so we're picking up Paul and all his buds traveling with him have landed at Troas, and they're going to hang for a little while. Starting in verse 7, it says this. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to take bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed, his life is still in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a while longer until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene, and sailed from there. We came the following day opposite of Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, this morning as we take these few minutes to be in your word, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us as our hearts actually need. I pray, Lord, that you would meet us in this story, that you would reveal a bit of your heart for your church, for your world, for us. Pray that we would have open eyes and open ears to be receptive to hear from you today. And Lord, above, above all of this, God, I just pray that as we... Leave this space today. Each one of us will have heard from you what our heart needs, that we'll leave here encouraged and challenged in you. We love you, Jesus. We trust you for this work. So we pray it in your name. Amen. So we have the scene, and I kind of have already told you where we're going with this, right? We've got this kind of wild miracle narrative, and I think that's the reason this one gets chosen, right? Like, we're in a chunk that's really just in a paragraph summarizing months of travel, we went here, we went here, we went here, we went here, we went here on our way back to Jerusalem. And in the middle of that, he gives us one narrative. And I think the reason this one got picked is because the dead kid, you know, I mean, that's a little bit of like a highlight that you're like, hey, you, let me tell you what happened to Troas. But I think the reason we get this story apart from the miracle piece is that this really is indicative of how commune, of what it looked like during these travels. Paul is going back and visiting communities where he's already done ministry for a long period of time. He makes his way back down the Macedonian and Greek coast, all the way down, it says when it made their way to Greece, he made his way back to Corinth, you know, Corinthians, like where that church is. He spent three months there hanging and then makes his way back, stopping city to city, encouraging the believers, spending time with them. And I think we really get this picture here of what that looks like. By the time Paul makes his way back to Troas, he's got a whole, like, party of companions with him from all of his journeys. And again, I know most of these, like, names and titles just don't mean much to us, but if you sit down and actually piece them together, what you'll see here is that the people following Paul are spread out from all of his journeys, There's people from his first missionary journey. There's people from his second missionary journey, people he just met, people who are Jewish by birth, people who are Gentile by birth, people who are Roman citizens by nationality, people who are Roman subjects, people who are of Greek culture, Roman culture, Jewish culture, people who are educated and wealthy, people who are poor and tradesmen. They all come together in this fellowship of folk hanging out with Paul, making his journey. And that's the people that are hanging out when we get to our text. They've gone ahead of him, and when Paul makes his way to Troas, they all sit with the church in Troas for a week, hanging out. And I love this scene. I love this scene because this is one of those scenes that really easily translates to our faith experience. It's the night before Paul has to leave. You can imagine that day, right? Hey, guys, I really have to head out in the morning. It's been so good to be with you guys, but I'm, I'm hitting the road. And so, and so the the are getting together and going, well, let's hang out tonight, let's do dinner tonight, let's get everyone in the house tonight. And there is something about that that just, just connects, right? Like there's not a huge amount of translation that has to be done for us to imagine our own small groups or gospel communities. The last night of a mission trip before you head home, the, the first night of a retreat when you all decide to stay up late and just share your hearts together. You know, there's something about this where we're able to go, yeah, I've had that moment. I've had that moment. Maybe it was a missionary in town or some brothers and sisters in Christ in town or I went on this cool retreat or whatever it was or just Thursday night Bible study and it was just good and we just lingered. Like we've had that moment and I think that helps us connect to what's going on here. A group of brothers and sisters in Christ hanging out in the living room way later than is responsible for grown adults to hang out in the living room. Like that's the story, right? And, and, And I think there's a piece of this that like really does just kind of grab a hold of, of the main point of this text, and it's this. The community of Jesus is literally a joy to be together. It's a joy to be together with the community of Jesus. So much so that they linger longer than is responsible. This is, And, and again, I, I, I want to push on this and say, I'm guessing most of us have experienced this at least once in our faith journey, where you just delay breaking up the gathering. You just kind of drag your feet a little bit because it's just such a joy to be together. There's something about that, right? I I imagine the scene of like, they're sitting there eating dinner and they've got Paul. And so they're asking him all their questions and he's digging through scripture. You know, it's not often that you have like the PhD trained rabbi hanging out in your living room. And so they're asking him questions. And at some point he goes, man, guys, it's getting super late. I really do have to like head out in the morning and they're like, yeah, 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 for for sure, for sure. We get it, man. Hey, look, I have work tomorrow, for sure. Anyway, really quick before you go, will you give us that part from Jeremiah again about like how that connects to Christ? And Paul's like, oh yeah, dude, this is good. Here, 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 let me talk to you about this. And then like an hour later, he's like, hey guys, I I actually really do have to get going, right? Like it's pretty late. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure, me too. I have work tomorrow. Hey, everyone, let's pray over Paul real quick before we break this thing up. And then like 20 minutes later of prayer, you're like, hey, really quick. You know, Tychik has mentioned this real quick. Can you, can you tell us that? Really? And it just, you just keep going. And you keep going. Until the kid dies. That part's kind of rough. Uh, <laughs> this scene is, is tragic, and also I shouldn't make light of it. But I do think this is an important lesson for all of us to learn. Which is that if you sleep through my sermons, God will kill you. <laughs> And I'm looking at you, Father. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But no, no, no. They're hanging out. They're staying up late. And this kid falls asleep. And by the way, like, we can't give him trouble for this. It's like one in the morning. He's been sitting. He's eating a huge meal. He's in a warm, comfy house. He's leaning against the wall. There's candles everywhere. The mood lighting's right. Paul's just droning on about Jeremiah. And he's just... And he falls out a window and dies, which is so intense and so sorrowful, except that Paul walks outside and in the power of the Spirit resurrects the kid, which in and of itself you're just like, dang, God resurrects the dead, like that's insane. But what's wild to me in this story, because again, this is not our first rodeo with miracles and acts, right? What's wild to me in this story is that their response to a kid dying and being resurrected is... Hey, that's wild. You want me to like get out some finger food? Like, should we eat? Yeah, we should definitely eat. And they go back inside and just keep, keep being together. Like that's the cue to bust out the refreshments. And they keep hanging out together until literally the sun comes up. And it's not, hey, I got to get some sleep. I got to leave early in the morning. It's, hey, my boat leaves in like an hour. We have to pack this thing up. And they finally pack the thing up and head out. It's such, it's such, on on a weird way, right? Because we're talking about this miracle story. To me, this is such a relatable scene. Because I get this feeling. I've had those times on Gospel Community Night where like three or four people linger and you can just tell like this is a Holy Spirit moment and we're digging into something we need to dig into. And everything in my flesh is going, you have a meeting at 7 a.m. tomorrow. (laughs) You know what I mean? I, I really do like, there's something about this text that just just resonates to, to me. I and mean, before we dig it, I have a couple of points I want to get at. But I just want to, I want to make sure we sit in just kind of this broad, simple truth of this text. That when it comes to the body of Christ, the community of Jesus, our family as brothers and sisters in Christ, it is a joy to be together. It's just a joy to be together. We don't want to go home. We, we delay dispatching our gathering. We linger with each other because something about the fellowship just feeds our soul. You know what I mean? Now, before we move on, the GC leaders have requested that I do take a minute and give you guys some formal decorum for when you are supposed to leave a gathering of the believers. I know this is hard because we're Midwesterners and Midwesterners are legendary for our eight stage goodbyes. And so I want to give you guys just a couple really quick. If you're a note taker, this is probably really important. This is, this is from the heart of all our gospel community leaders to you guys when they want you to leave their house. <laughs> this is, this is how, to, how to end your gathering as, as good Midwestern folk. Step one is this. You'll, you'll notice that the host will initiate when they want you to leave by doing this. They'll slap their knees. They're sitting in a chair. They'll go, well, and they'll stand up. The knee slap plus the well plus the stand up, that is a specific code to let you know it's time. It's time. Now, here, I, I want you to hear this part, because some of us who grew up here in the Middle States were like, I can't just leave on a whim. Yeah, I have good news for you. That initial whelp, that's letting you know that you have about an hour until you need to leave. <laughs> so, so what you actually need to do at that point is get up with them and offer to clean everything in their house. <laughs> offer to put away all the food, clean all the dishes, and clean up. If there's kids around, clean up all the toys. Now, the host will tell you not to, but I want to tell you a secret. You're allowed. You can, you can clean. And, and, and somewhere in the cleaning, you need to transition to hugs and handshakes, like where, where applicable, right? And, and this, is, this is the key piece. When all that comes together, when all that's done, and there's no more things to clean, you need to firmly, like, coat on, grasp the front door handle. Now, this is a code back to the host who will walk over and now initiate what we Midwesterners call the door conversation. <laughs> the door conversation is essentially just picking up exactly where you left off when you were all sitting in the living room. But now you're standing at the front door. This takes about 30 minutes, and (laughs) your job is to end this conversation by going, you know, it's really getting late, and just kind of nod your head. And 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 this is the key, right? At this point, if it's cold, you're scot-free. You walk out to the car, you leave, you're good. If it's warm, the door conversation actually has a second part called the driveway conversation. And that usually kind of lingers as you kind of slowly close your car door while they're still talking. Uh, and at that point, once you're in the car, the door is closed, the engine started, you think you're free, you're not. The host will wave to you, and you have one of two options. You either dramatically wave back through the glass, or you do a double tap of the horn to let them know you saw the wave. But at that point, as the car backs out, you're free to go. Sound good? Is that good? That was from our GC leaders to you guys, that's not... Not for me. Uh, in all seriousness, though, Midwesternness aside, I do think there is some stuff we see here about community that we need to take a few minutes to kind of pick apart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through three kind of pieces to this. This is the idea that c- the community of Christ is beautifully diverse. The community of Christ sacrificially gives time. And the community of Christ spends that time in the Word and in the Spirit. I'm going to kind of walk through each of these in turn. But I think this is kind of just a little bit of what we can see in a story like this that we can bring home to how we understand the fellowship of believers. So, So let me start with the community of Christ is beautifully diverse. You know... I think a lot of us have probably heard that famous text in Revelation 7 where John gets that first glimpse of heaven and he's looking out over Christ's return. And there's that, that famous phrase, you know, that you saw every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And I think there's a piece to us that if we've been in church for a while, we can kind of see that part and celebrate it and anticipate that. And, and that is true. That is in the word. That's beautiful. But we're, we're talking right now about a very specific expression of the church, which is the local church gathered together right? We're talking about a manual. We're talking about your gospel community sitting in someone's living room. And I'm going to tell you guys, the church of Jesus Christ in every expression is still beautifully diverse. Even in a context like ours, right? Where there's really like not a huge amount of diversity of culture in our area, right? There's still a beautiful amount of diversity in the church and in our gatherings, in our living rooms, in our discipleship groups. We see this, I think, perfectly played out in our text here as Paul's traveling group gathers around him. I mean, imagine that living room in Troas, right? Imagine a living room where you have gathered together Roman citizens and Roman subjects. That by itself was wild. Never mind the fact that you had Jews and Gentiles, that you had those who subscribed to the Greek worldview and the Roman worldview and the Jewish worldview. Never mind the fact that you had varying levels of education, varying levels of wealth. Like, There was a beautiful amount of diversity in that room. You've got a guy like Paul who's finished what we, the equivalent of multiple PhDs and a guy like Timothy who's like 22 and out of trade school, right? And they're hanging out in the living room together. There's a beautiful diversity in the church of Jesus. And I'll tell you guys, there is a beautiful diversity in your expression of the church of Jesus. There is. You need to look for that. I think there's a really good, this kind of self-reflection question in here, which is just, are you actually experiencing the diversity of the community of Christ around you? Because it exists even in our little congregation and even in our small groups and even in West County St. Louis. The question is, are you experiencing it? Is that, in our cultural context, that takes a little bit of intentionality. You know, our, our culture is pre-wired to just kind of shuffle us into our peer groups. It's kind of how we structure and organize our culture, is that you hang out with people who don't just look like you and think like you, but are also in the same stage of life as you. It's kind of, kind of the pressure, the momentum in our culture, and if you default, if you're not intentional, that is what will happen. You know, there's, there's a couple in our church, I, I love this. There's a couple in our church who just intentionally decided to host all the college kids and cook, cook a meal for them and just hang out and just talk and get to know them. There's something about that level of intentionality that just says, I'm ah, a different stage of life, but I want to be in community with you. I want to sit and I want to hang and hear how, how Christ meets with you, how the gospel make sense in your life and be together. There's something about that that's just really Jesus-y, and I'm telling you guys, it doesn't happen by accident. That happens because you look around our room and you go, you know, I only know like a third of the people in this room, and I'm going to eat lunch today regardless. I just need to figure out where that family's going to lunch and just kind of stalk them there. Just need to head there after and be like, oh, you guys eat at Applebee's too, what a coincidence, right? Like, trust me, it's church. We all eat at Applebee's at some point. Uh <laughs> But I'm serious, that, that, kind of in, that kind of diversity, you will experience that in the church when you choose to experience that in the church. When you go out of your way in your gospel community, in your discipleship group, in your friendships, in your hangout time, on Sunday morning where you sit, to put yourself in scenarios where you meet and experience the diversity of the church and beloved, you will be blessed by that. Because what you'll find out is this, the thing that binds the church of Jesus together is Jesus. When you spend time with people that your only commonality is Christ, you know what you find out? That's actually enough. That having commonality in Christ means you don't need commonality of life stage or political opinions or social ideas or education or hobbies or literally anything else. That Christ is enough to bind you together, not just as acquaintances, not even just as friends, as brothers and sisters. Come on, church. Oof, oof. I'm getting too into it. The community of Christ gives sacrificial time. I love this one because it's simultaneously the most obvious and at least for me, the most difficult aspect of this discussion. It's obvious because on some level, we all know that we give our time to the things we value, right? Like, that's, that's just how it goes down. It's difficult because we value our time. We're busy people. Most of us have commitments, things like jobs, family, kids, activities, hobbies, places we volunteer, fill in the gap. If you're like me, there probably isn't much wiggle room in your time. And the reality is, when you think about things like your marriage, your kids, things like that, you don't get do-overs with that stuff, right? You don't get to go back and redo a season of swim practice you skipped, right? Those things happen, and then they're gone. So I would encourage you guys in this piece, and I'm going to say this part a little more heavy for me, because it is heavy for me. I would encourage you guys to really think about this, because this one costs something. It costs something, to be radically sacrificial with your time. And you have to weigh through what that actually means. But that's what we see in the church. So we see in this text. Grown adults with responsibilities going, I know I have work in the morning, <laughs> but I, I, I just got to be here for this. That's a, that's, a, that's a thing, guys. And listen, please don't hear me like poo-pooing on you. I get it. Sometimes you got to get that kid down for bed or your life's going to be hell for the next three days. And sometimes you have a meeting at 5 a.m. And sometimes your mental health demands that you get you know, into your sleep schedule and all those things. And I'm not, I'm not telling you to just blanketly disregard those things. But I am telling you that if you follow after Christ and you give yourself fully to the mission of God, there will be moments when to be fully invested in what God is doing in the moment, you will have to sacrifice time that is valuable to you and that you would rather commit to other things even if those other things are sleep, even if those other things are hangouts, Netflix time, Nintendo time, I don't know what you do with your free time. There, there will come a time when to be fully present what God is doing in the moment, you will have to sacrifice time that you don't in your flesh want to sacrifice. That's a real thing. It's a thing to weigh through because that, again, you don't get a do-over on that. The time you give doesn't come back. I don't know if you're like me. I, like, some people don't believe me when I say this, but like I'm, I'm a little more introverted wired naturally, and so I have this thing. I've had this thing when I've been in vocation ministry and before, or when I was in ministry vocationally and before I was in ministry vocationally, where I'll I'll commit myself to something, a mission trip, a retreat, a discipleship group, whatever it is, and there's this moment like before the thing actually happens. So maybe it's like the Tuesday before the mission trip when I'm out like shopping for the stuff I'm supposed to get or like the Sunday night when I'm packing for the retreat or like, I don't know, 4.45 a.m. when my alarm goes off for that discipleship group where everything in my flesh goes, why did I sign up for this? Why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be at Walmart buying bug spray right now. I don't want to be packing. I, don't want, to, I want to be sleeping in right now, not going to a coffee shop. Like, there, there is a part of me that just pretty much every time I commit my time relationally, and I'm sorry, because half of you in the room are going, we've hung out before. <laughs> it's true, guys, sorry. But pretty much every time I commit my time relationally, I have a moment of buyer's regret where I'm like, Oh man, I could be home spending this time on myself right now, and instead I'm here doing this. But I'm going to tell you guys this, and I'm telling you this confessionally, but I'm also telling you this as a testimony. There's never been a time, never been a time, when I've walked away from a mission trip, a retreat, a church gathering, a gospel community, a discipleship group, where I've thought, man, I wish I hadn't done that. What a waste. I do this pretty much every Tuesday as I'm like scrambling to get off work early so I can desperately clean my living room to try and convince all the people in my gospel community that it always looks like that. (laughs) And get food cooked and all those things. Where literally my brain goes through a series of is there any way to justify canceling gospel community tonight? (laughs) Is there anything going on that I can cancel this without looking bad? I do that pretty much every Tuesday. And again, I I pre-apologize if you were in my GC. There has never been a night, never been a night, as long as I've been doing discipleship groups, small groups, those things, where the last person leaves and I close the door and I go, never getting that night back again. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Because time invested in the kingdom of God is not time wasted. Time invested in the kingdom of God is joyful. It's life-giving. It actually like charges you because the kingdom of God is worth it. There's a perfect, I think, just self-diagnostic question in this point, which really just comes down to, do you sacrifice of your time for the sake of the kingdom? I know that's a yes or no question. You're not supposed to do those for like reflection questions. So maybe a better thing would be, what time do you not want to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom? Because we all have that. We all have those places where we just go, no, that one's mine. I really don't want to give that one up. I'd encourage encourage you guys to consider this. Consider this. Consider the time God has given you, the time that you don't get a do-over on, the time that you don't get back. How how worth it? What is the the ROI for you putting that time into the kingdom of God? Putting that time into the community of Christ? Third point, and I think this is important to, to bring that second point together. The community of Christ spends time intentionally. Spends time in the word, in the gospel, in the spirit. Because here's the deal, guys. And I say this out of love. But the reason I can push you so hard to go, it is worth it, the sacrifice time that you will never get back for the sake of the kingdom. It's because the time given over to the sake of the kingdom isn't just hang time. You know, I read this text about these guys sitting up till three in the morning, sitting up till daylight. And you know, the first thing that triggers in my mind is I go back to college at Linwood and sitting with my bros at Gingham's at 2 a.m., like eating pancakes, being irresponsible, and we have class at 8. Like, that's, that's where my mind first goes, and this like, oh, they made themselves stay pulled an all-nighter. But here's the thing. When I was doing that as an 18, 19, 20-year-old, 22-year-old, 25-year-old, uh, that wasn't for the sake of anything important. That was for hang time with my guys. You know what I'm saying? If you get together... For your small group time, and everyone lingers till one in the morning because you're sitting around playing video games or just chatting. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I'm telling you guys, I'm going to be a lot quicker to go, well, time to go. Get out of here. I got a meeting in the morning. But that's not just what the church does. Again, not that we don't hang out and not that hangouts aren't wonderful, but the, the community of Christ gathers around something specific. It's not just chill time. The community of Christ gathers around the gospel of Christ. I mean, look at what they did. They're sitting there giving this time because they're with Paul. He's teaching them. They're they're digging into the word. They're they're, they're praying together. They're very obviously experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, how is that part obvious? I mean, they resurrected a dead guy. (laughs) The Spirit of God was present in their gathering, right? Now, I say that going, I know that most of us aren't radically experiencing the presence of the Spirit in resurrections, but I think it's a fair trade-off because most of us haven't had anyone die in our GCs yet. So, you know, it kind of balances out. But you get what I'm saying, right? Like, the time given here is not just saying, hey, you should irresponsibly stay up till 4 a.m. with your church buds because church is cool. That's not what we're saying. The time given, the time spent here is time invested, circled around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Time spent taking the gospel and contextualizing it into people's lives. Showing up to church on a Sunday is beautiful, it's a gift, it's a discipline, and you should do it. I don't know to say that because I'm the one up here, right? You should. It's good for you. It's good for your soul. But when a trained, vetted pastor gets up from the pulpit and preaches the word to you, they're preaching the word to you and everyone else in the room. And the way that you, you apply the gospel in a context like this is with the broadest strokes possible. Because we're trying to speak to every person in the room with the power of the Spirit. But when you get six of you in a living room, and someone goes, man, Jim got on this thing Sunday out of this text, and it really hit me like this. And all you're doing in that moment is zooming in and narrowly focusing and telling that, like helping that person think through and comprehend how the gospel applies to their life in that specific context. Beloved, that is gospel work. And it can't happen in a room like this. It happens around coffee. It happens in living rooms. It happens in Bible studies. And, and, and hear me on this. They're not just gathering around the word to do a Bible study to learn facts so they can walk away going, I know more Bible trivia than I did before I walked into this space. It's not about just learning new facts. It's about contextualizing, applying the gospel of Jesus to your life right now. How does the mission of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension and eventual return and judgment and eternity with Jesus, how does that speak into your marriage today, your relationship at work today, this problem you're having with your kids right now, this financial issue you're struggling with, this area of addiction or habitual sin behavior, Like the gospel contextualized to someone's life. It takes work and, beloved, it takes time. You've got to sit together and do that. It doesn't just happen by accident. You won't just show up and hear good Bible preaching and 40 years later be awesome. You need disciplers. You need brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to sit with you and call out your blind spots and call out your areas of weakness and sin and take the gospel like a scalpel and carve it into you to carve out the sin, the flesh, the idolatry that you love and don't want to let go of. It happens in the context of community because we gather together. We gather around the gospel. We don't just gather for hangs, although hangs happen. We gather around the gospel. And when you gather around the gospel of Jesus, beloved, the spirit of Jesus will be present. When you gather in my name, I'm there. That's what he says. When we gather around the gospel of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus will be present. This is a really good question, diagnostic question, reflection question for you in this. Do you gather around the gospel of Jesus with brothers and sisters in Christ? Again, you're like, it's a yes or no question. How are you, how are you making your gatherings together about the gospel? What does it take to turn a dinner with friends into the community of Christ? What has to happen to make that gathering centered around the gospel. Contextualize it. Do you even know how to contextualize the gospel? If someone sits with you over lunch and goes, I've got to tell you something, I'm actually just massively depressed. I don't know what to do about it. What would it even look like for you to bring that conversation to the sufficiency of Christ? To bring the gospel to bear in that moment? Do you know how to do that? You're like, no. Good, you need more people in your GC. Someone will. <laughs> But you get what I'm saying, right? Like, man, is, 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 that, is that what our gathering looks like? Are we gathering around the gospel of Jesus? And if you're not sure, if you go, I don't know, I mean, maybe, a really good question is are you experiencing the Spirit in your gathering? Is he present? Is his presence palpable and knowable, seeable, hearable? You're like, that's a little, uh. I'm serious when I say that. Is, the, is the spirit, Are you experiencing the presence of the Spirit in your gathering? If you're like, and it's a little too charismatic for me, I'm going to give you a little out on this. The Spirit is made known through His Word. And if you want the Spirit known in your gathering, there should probably be a word. That's a really good question. You're gathering around the Gospel. You're experiencing the presence of the Spirit in your gathering. So, let me kind of bring this all together. Are we, are we spending sacrificial time with people whose only connection to you is the cross of Christ? And are you spending that time gathered around the gospel? Are you experiencing the spirit of God together? Are you doing this often enough that it actually costs your schedule something? That you can actually look back on extra coffee days or grouchy kid days because you gave of your time enough sacrificed for that, that it actually messed up your calendar. It's a good thought. Because I'll tell you guys. I'll tell you guys. And this is where we're going to kind of land this thing today. The community of Christ is worth it. The community of Christ is worth what it costs. And I'll tell you why. The community of Christ is worth the cost because the mission of Christ is worth the cost. See, this whole thing comes back to this really important landing place for us today. There are two ditches we could pretty easily fall into on this, and I feel like we did a pretty good job of like blasting the one, and that's this idea that you can be a Lone Ranger Christian. That, that, that's a foolish ditch, and beloved, don't fall into it. Don't fall into it. You can't follow Christ on your own. You need the help of the church. The Bible couldn't be any clearer. The majority of the commandments in the New Testament are not possible in isolation. We talk about the one another commandments in Scripture. If you want to obey Christ and follow his word, you must be in community with brothers and sisters. This whole thing that we have in our church context in the Western world, in the modern United States, where you can get offended and hurt relationally and just walk and go, I don't need church to follow Jesus. I've got YouTube. I've got apps on my phone. I've got my Bible. I can go sit in the woods and meet with the Spirit. I'm telling you, beloved, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Isolation in faith will lead you to heresy. You just will. Because you have blind spots. And you don't know they're there. That's why we call them blind spots. And if you don't have brothers and sisters applying the scalpel of the gospel to your life, those blind spots will grow in power and they will turn into heresy and you will have no idea. You just won't because you're blind to it. And you'll end up stuck and alone and isolated and preaching a false gospel to yourself and to other people around you. It's a dangerous thing, guys. Don't try and go it alone. There's no reason to. You have brothers and sisters who love you you have a community around you. You have the spirit of God calling you unto him. He didn't save for himself a person. He saved for himself a family. Drew to himself all of us, bringing us as captives and his right? I think we did a pretty good job of blasting that part. Community is beautiful. It's a joy. It's awesome. But I want to talk about the other ditch. The other ditch would be to say community is the goal. This amazing relationship, these deep brotherhood and sisterhood, these lifelong friendships, that's what I'm actually aiming for. Because when I'm together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's so joyful and so life-giving. I'm going to tell you guys, the community of Christ is not the mission. It serves the mission. Hear that. The community of Christ serves the mission of Christ. It is not the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ is to seek and save the lost, to to glorify God through Jesus' accomplished work to draw the dead to life, to bring sinners to salvation, to resurrect the dead and draw them unto eternity with himself. It's not cool hangouts with with your buds. And don't get me wrong, cool hangouts with your buds is great. And I hope and pray that all of us find deep abiding lifelong friendships and relationships in the context of our church family. But you will find them along the way of doing the mission. And our text highlights that perfectly. I love this part, because this is an amazing scene of deep, sacrificial community, and then Paul leaves, and we get the last little bit of his travel vlog as he's trying to make his way back. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but did you notice he skipped Ephesus? Did you notice that? The place where he spent two and a half years, where he built some of his deepest friendships and brotherhoods and like all of his ministry. Like He gets to that part, and he like looks at his calendar, and he's like, Sorry, we gotta skip Ephesus. And what he actually does is he sends a message, we're gonna talk about this next week. He sends a message to Ephesus and asks some of the key people he was discipling to meet him on the road so we can give them some encouragements. But he's like, I am not going to Ephesus right now because if I do, it'll take me three months to leave. And I am dead set on what God has called me to in the mission. I've gotta to get to Jerusalem so I begin making my way to Rome. So he skips Ephesus. Some of his deepest friendships, right? Some of, his, some of his most beautiful expressions of community. Because the community is not the mission. The community serves the mission. The mission is the gospel advancing in a broken and dead world. Right? And the community serves that purpose. So don't, don't fall into the trap of thinking... I've got to plug in to get deep and abiding friendships because a life with deep and abiding friendships is the kind of life I want to live. Beloved, the kind of life you want to live is the kind of life submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And when you submit to the Lordship of Jesus and seek after Him and follow after Him, you will find that there are all sorts of people standing shoulder to shoulder with you doing the same thing. And there you will find deep and abiding brotherhood and sisterhood. Not because you were seeking that, but because you were seeking Christ. Don't fall into that trap of thinking friendship is God because friendship is a terrible God and it will leave you needy and with less friends than you were hoping for. Seek after Christ. Give yourself fully to his mission. Pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel and you will find community, a band of brotherhood and sisterhood that you had not imagined. I'm going to end with this if the band wants to come up. When I was in college, I experienced real kind of gospel community for the first time when this group of guys invited me into some discipleship. Mark and Matt and Brandon and Garrett and Andy and Marty and Mike and Brian. And we sat in the living room, and those guys modeled to me what real confession looked like, what it looked like to actually draw my sin into the light, to realize that in Christ there's no shame because it was accomplished work. And they modeled to me what it looked like to actually contextualize the gospel, to go, you don't have to wallow in your sin, but because of Jesus, you can walk in freedom. Because Jesus actually paid the price for your sin. And you don't have to return to compulsive, destructive behaviors that you don't want. And those guys modeled what it looked like to sacrifice time as they would stay up with each other late or get up and drive into the city at 2 a.m. to go pick up a guy who made some terrible mistakes and needed someone to come pick him up. And that modeled literally over years during that, during that formative time in my life, in my faith. I'm telling you guys, it's the reason I am on my feet and following Christ. God used that in my life. He used it to grow my roots deep. He used it to put a spotlight on my own dependence, Christ, how much I need Him. He used it to bring me to actual freedom from sin. Shameful stuff that I kept secret, didn't want anyone to know about. Because God uses his church mightily, mightily. And when you show up and say yes, say yes to Christ and you give of yourself and you sacrifice to give your time, give of your person to to be there to seek out people who, who aren't really like you, but your commonality is Christ and you just go all in for the gospel together, you're gonna be immensely blessed by that. But brothers and sisters, you have no clue what work that will do for the kingdom. You have no clue what impact that'll have on the kingdom. What people are in your midst who, yeah, they're going to bring that scalpel to you, but you have no idea the scalpel you're going to bring is going to actually draw people to real repentance and real freedom and real life and real joy. I'm going to end with this, beloved. It is a joy to gather together with the community of Christ. It is a joy. So, they're going to sing a song. It's a pretty one. I want to encourage you guys as we take a minute to sing this song before we jump into communion, I want to encourage you guys to take a minute and be with Christ. Talk to him about the family he has adopted you into. And work through some of this stuff, man. I don't know, maybe one of those points struck you heavier than another and, and the Holy Spirit cut you with something and going, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with how homogenous your relationships are, how little you reach out to people not like you. You need to deal with the selfishness you bring to your time. You need to deal with the shallowness you bring to your time together. Sit with him. See what he says with you in that. Ask him. I I mean, I'm serious when I say this. Just in your seat right now, ask Jesus. Lord, what would you have me do? How would you have me respond to this? What does it look like to walk out of here in a step of obedience? See what he says to you. God's doing something heavy in your heart and you need you need help. And if you need a pastor to sit with you and pray with you or help you process something with Christ, come grab one of us. Me and Craig are both here today. Or even if you just want to grab us and get a coffee later, if you don't want to talk about it now, that's fine. We love you guys. We're on your team. I want to be in this with you. Beloved, take a few minutes. Do the work you need to do with Jesus. And then when this is done, we'll take communion together.